0: Everyone, we'll start. Um don't worry, you can chat after in the cafe over donuts. Um we're continuing our study in the book of James. We're actually drawn near to the end. We're in the last chapter, so I'm gonna do the first part of chapter five this week and we'll finish it next week with the last part of chapter five. And I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed hearing different people in our church teach on this book in the Bible. Um, And Paul started off sharing from chapter one. And I think that morning when we spoke about that, there seemed to be a bit of a call of wake up sleeper. Let's use the good gifts God as our Father gives us. You know, don't just listen to the word. Do what it says persevere under trial that was really coming across and James chapter 1 verse 22 one of the key verses do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says you know are we not only hearers of the word, but do we put it into action in our lives? And then another thing that stood out to me was Ian explaining all about how we are saved by faith through grace. But also in James it says, faith without works is dead. And he really helped us to understand that. We are saved by faith, but it's outworked and demonstrated in our deeds. And I love that powerful comparison he used with Carricka-Reed Bridge. I've got a picture there. You know, sometimes we need to take a step of faith. Sometimes we have to be obedient. Sometimes we have to leave our comfort zone. And for some of us, crossing that bridge would really be leaving our comfort zone. But it really made me think, what is it in my life that God is asking me to step out in and take that step of faith? And last week, Matt spoke and and he tied in part of chapter four to the story of the prodigal son. But actually, he referred more to the story son and he said something that kind of like hit me between the eyes he talked about the older son how he'd lived in the father's house but he wasn't really in the father's presence when the younger son came back he was angry and but the father said all that i have is yours and i've camped out in that all week and thought about it and um, i spoke about it on friday church you know i've just been thinking all week I'm in the Father's house but am I really in the Father's presence and that was something that came um, from last week and it wasn't even the book of James but Matt just brought that word and it really spoke to me. So I just want to ask you guys today what has God been speaking to you about through this book of James? You know What are you going to take away from this series? What are you going to put into practice so you can be a doer of the word and not a hearer of the word? And earlier this morning when we were praying, Um, brian was thinking had a picture of the people of israel how when they crossed the red sea the uh, egyptian army was behind them and and they were scared but once they crossed the red sea the egyptian army was gone and they were following they were led by the lord and i really loved that picture because this book of james has been super challenging but we don't want to be pushed from behind like a kick up the bomb like what are you doing out of fear we want to do it because we're led by god we're led by his word we love him and we want to follow him we want to do what what he says so i just love that picture and i love it when we gather together to pray just things come out that feed into what we're saying and doing so that was really good Um, Just to give you a little something to hold on to, Um, one piece that I read when I was looking at the book of James grouped this immensely practical letter around three themes, so that might be helpful for you when you're reviewing and thinking in your head, what does this mean to me? The first one was, trials, suffering and difficulty can be expected, they never surprise God. I suppose they pretty much always come as a surprise to us. We don't enjoy those things. We don't want those things in our lives, but God knows and he will be with us through them. The second thing, God desires progress, not perfection as we follow Jesus. That's lovely, isn't it? So if you're sitting there already, beating yourself up, going, oh, well, I haven't really thought about this much at all. I haven't done much about it. God's not asking for us to be perfect. He's just asking us to move forward and step by step to follow him. And then finally, riches and comfort will never satisfy the soul. And that really comes up in James 5 that we're going to look at today. So James encourages Christians to faithfully serve Jesus as their king. And at that time, that would have been a comforting thing, but also very countercultural. And I just thought, well, it's countercultural today as well. You know, when Jesus is Lord of our lives, we pledge our allegiance to him. He is meant to come first. We sang this morning, Jesus be the center. We sang this morning, I will trust in you alone. You know, and sometimes if we're trusting in God and putting him first, that puts us at odds with our culture. And it does feel like that today, doesn't it? To trust Jesus and to put him first kind of puts us more and more at odds with our culture. Are we ready for that? Are we willing to kind of almost realize that's the way it's going to be? That's something to think about so we'll read some of james chapter 5 and i'll unpack it a little bit so james 5 the title in the niv is warning to rich oppressors chapter 5 verse 1 now listen you rich people weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you your, we- your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes your gold and silver are corroded their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire you have hoarded wealth in the last days look the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence, you have fattened yourselves on the day of slaughter, you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you, pretty strong words there, and it's a rebuke of the ungodly rich and god rules over wealth and he requires our obedience to his will in all use of it so james here is developing that idea of complete dependence on god we need to be completely dependent on him and he's rebuking those who are most likely to live independently from god which is the rich so you kind of see that don't you like in this culture we can get by we can get what we need we don't necessarily need god as such and i've seen that when i've visited other places like brazil and i'm sure the guys will see that when they go to ethiopia it's almost like their richness isn't in what they have but they love god so much and they rely on him and do we rely on him and the bit that stood out for that in that kind of section for me which was so challenging was that bit. they have lived indulgently without regard for others and i was asking myself that question do i live indulgently without regard for others do we think about how the way we live affects other people And perhaps we're sitting there thinking, well I'm not really that rich to be honest, but as we shared in our Becoming series when we talked about generosity, we do live in the UK, which in 2017 was the fourth wealthiest country in the world, not sure about 2019, but we're still pretty wealthy. But we don't feel wealthy, but if you just look at these stats again and read this, if you've food in your fridge, clothes on your back, a roof over your head and a place to sleep, you're richer than 75% of the world. If you've money in the bank, your wallet and some spare change, you're on the top 8% of the world's wealthy. So you kind of might think, well I'm not really rich, but we are, and then how we How we steward that, how we live that, how we live our lives is important to God and therefore should be important to us. Um, I hope this picture comes up. I saw it on someone's Facebook recently. Um, So those of us who are into our apps or entertainment, um, I thought this was pretty challenging. Think about each one and what it could represent. So Lust, Tinder. Gluttony, Yelp, I had to look up what Yelp was, but it's reviewing lots of places to eat, I think. Anyone use Yelp? Check out the latest places to get food. Creed and Carrick was on it, I saw that. Um, Grade, LinkedIn, I kind of know what that is. Um, sloth, Netflix, how often do we say, oh, just stick on a bit of Netflix and... You know lays around or whatever wrath twitter twitter can be an angry place especially if you follow someone like piers morgan or something like that envy facebook looking at other people's best lives you know pride instagram make sure we filter our photos to get the best one best selfie so some of you that's pretty challenging Probably some of you are going, I don't even know what you're talking about. (laughs) I don't even know what some of those things are. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm into a lot of those things. So it's a challenge, isn't it? You know, how are we living self-indulgently? How is our world set up to make us live self-indulgently when we engage in all those things? So James 5, 5a. James calls us here not to be self-indulgent. So that's why it's important to think about things that we kind of take for granted at times. So for me, like thinking about where do the things that I eat and drink and wear come from? You know, it talks earlier in the chapter about the workers and their wages. How much do the people get paid who make the clothes I wear? How much do the people get paid who drink the coffee I like? You know, we need to think about that. That's why things like fair trade are important. You know, looking at who makes our phones, you know, thinking ethically, do we even think like that or do we just like carry on regardless and consume? Often those who are poor and without power in the world have little recourse to justice, they don't have a voice. But their cries are heard by God who guarantees to right every wrong and answer every injustice. So James is warning the church about the corrupting power of wealth and that's important for us to think about in our wealthy culture. You know, Jesus said it as well in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So God's word is really clear about our attitude towards wealth and worldly ambition. You know, it's not saying that wealth in itself is an evil thing, but But when we serve wealth as our master, that becomes the problem. So storing up treasures, what Jesus said, well, what does that mean? You know, what are we storing up? Are we investing in what will last into eternity, which is God's mission in the world? You know, if we think back to those things I just said, a lot of what we pursue in life, what we spend our time on, it could lead to comfort here on earth. It could lead to our own glory, our own... You know, all of that stuff, but instead of using our resources to build wealth here, we need to build what will outlast the world and continue into the next world. And that made me think about legacy. You know, that was the name of our leaders conference last year in Ireland. Legacy. What's our legacy? Every person in this room will have a legacy. What are we investing our life in, our money and our time? You know, are we living to accumulate more for ourselves? Are we thinking of eternity? What we're pouring in will last into the lives of our children and our children's children, the, the people we invest in. It's so challenging, isn't it? Like the book of James. And for me, I was thinking, you know, what is my legacy? What am I investing in? And those of you who know me and i talk about it a lot you know i want to see god bind up the brokenhearted i want people to be set free i'm really um just so passionate about our emotional health so for me how i build legacy is i'm trying to help other people through counseling and through being a pastor and um, i've trained recently to be a children's counselor and i'm going in one day a week to do that in a school and um, i'm not saying that to say look at me but i'm just giving you an example of that's how i'm trying not to live self-indulgently i'm trying to be obedient i'm trying to listen to god and say what have you called me to what am i for and then how can i pass that on and when i'm sitting with a child in a primary school who's had something awful happen in their life well i trust that my little bit could maybe help them so that they're not carrying that totally into their future life you know i'm trying to do my little piece of the jigsaw to make a difference and um that just really ties into something that happened in our life group on thursday that diane reminded me about and we were praying for someone who was worried about their son he's actually older now in his 20s but Diane had this picture of, you know, when a child is small and maybe they're only, like, little Matthew, one or two years old, like, you have to help them get dressed. They can't do it for themselves. One thing we can do for our children or the people we know is we can dress them in the armor of God. We can pray that over them. We can, you know, pray for them to have the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, all those things. We can... Even our prayers can leave legacy, our prayers for our children or people we care about, our prayers for our parents, whoever it is. We can clothe them in the armour of God as we pray. So today I'm just asking you guys, you know, what are the things that grab your heart? What's the legacy that you want to leave in this world? What will be remembered after you're gone? And so summing this part up, not living self-indulgently, really reminded me of a verse in Micah 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You know, as we said earlier, when Jesus is the Lord of our lives, he comes first, he's the centre, we pledge our allegiance to him. And that is at odds with our consumer all about me culture. How do we act justly? How do we love mercy? And how do we walk humbly? So on to the next we part, James 5, 7 to 12, which is all about patience in suffering. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the Father waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, and as, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. And when I looked at these verses, it brought me back to where we started in James 1. You know, Paul talked about this perseverance, not giving up. The message is to be patient and stand firm, as it says in the next one, Tom, yeah. You know, stand firm when you face trials. That develops perseverance. And it says in James 5, wait for the land to yield its crop. And um, Paul and I have walked past our allotment a few times, which I know Carly and some of the others are excited to get their hands on in this spring term and you know this is it's a time where not much is happening but a farmer doesn't give up when the crop doesn't come to harvest immediately he keeps on working even when you can't see you have to toil and get the ground ready and sometimes that's true for us as believers you know we have to work hard exercise patient endurance even when the harvest doesn't seem like it's coming quickly You know, and that's about the eternal perspective, about the legacy and about God returning. And it reminded me of a quote I've seen before from Corrie Ten Boom, if we we have a look at this. When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. You know, sometimes it's about patient and trust and standing firm. And maybe some of you today feel like you're in that dark tunnel. You really don't understand what's happening in your life. You're just confused and you don't know where you're going. But we need to trust. We need to stand firm. We need to know that God is the engineer and he's got this. And when we were praying earlier, someone had a picture of a boat and sometimes we're in the storm but jesus is with us he's in the boat and he's the calm in the storm verse 9 says don't grumble against one another brothers and sisters or you'll be judged the judge is standing at the door and sometimes when things are tough in our lives it's easy to kind of grumble isn't it you don't really want to put it on yourself you want to blame someone else you want it to be someone else's fault you want to grumble at someone else um, but the only person we can take responsibility for is ourselves and sometimes I think we make very much wrong assumptions and we take things personally so I saw this thing this week and I thought I'm going to share that because it's super practical and since I'm all into emotional health you have to listen to me. Um, it's hard to stop taking things personally. Number one, realize that other people's rudeness is not about you. When someone is rude, it's likely to be a reflection of their own issues. Number two, ask yourself what else the comment or behavior might mean. For example, if someone doesn't smile or say hello, they might be shy. It might not be about you at all. Number three, take comments or criticism in a constructive way. Ask yourself if there's any truth to it and maybe you can actually learn something. Four, take a different perspective. Ask yourself how an unbiased outsider would see the situation. We get like that, don't we, in the heat of it. We're like, I can't believe she said that. I can't believe it. But if we just step back and think, well, if someone else heard that, well, what would they say about it? And it might not be so heated five realize that you can't please everyone good thing to remember six know that you're not defined by your mistakes or criticism seven realize that your self-worth depends on you it doesn't depend on what others say about you you know james is talking here about grumbling about how we speak about other people and sometimes we take that on ourselves what others say about us you know emotional health and maturity and passionate that they mel- match up with spiritually spiritual maturity so we can read the bible we can know the book of james inside out but are we living it are we living it out in our relationships so how we relate to one another we need to be responsible and put into action what it says in god's word so just um the last few verses of james chapter five and um, we read them there as an example in the patience of suffering take the prophets he spoke in the name of the lord we count as blessed those who have persevered you've heard of job's perseverance and seen what the lord brought about the lord is full of compassion and mercy and then do not swear let your yes just use a simple yes and no think of the prophets that's james reminding us of the prophets of the old testament some of them endured hardship think of elijah he just after he defeated the prophets of Baal, he curled up and just had enough and he wanted to die. Think of Jeremiah. He endured mistreatment with patience, he was put in the stocks, he was thrown into prison and lowered into a dark dungeon. Yet he persisted in his ministry and I thought that was a challenge to us today. You know, do we persist when hardships come or do we just go, oh well, that just must mean I'm not meant to do this anymore. You know, perseverance is so strong in this book, in the book of James. And we spoke about Job before. Job 13:15 says, Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. I will trust God no matter what, because we can trust his character. He's full of compassion and mercy. And I just thought, patience in the face of suffering is so hard sometimes, isn't it? Like, I know some of you are going through some really difficult things right now. And it says, blessed are those who have persevered. Trusting God's character is full of compassion and mercy. And I don't know if you can see this little sign. Um, It's a sign above a door, and it says, God's got this. Um, I spoke about this lady, Kayla Stockline, in the Christmas service. Um, she is um, a lady who lives in America, and I came across her. Um, she has three little boys, and last year, Her husband took his own life. He was a pastor in America. And she's had to move out of their home that they'd just bought earlier that year and get a new home for herself and her little boys. And I just find her so inspiring because she's obviously going through unimaginable grief. She's now a single mom of three boys and it's not what she ever wanted. She's just got so much pain, but she's clinging on to God and... She's so inspiring to me. And she put this sign up last week, and um, the sign above the door, God's got this. That was a hashtag they used when their fa- her father-in-law died of leukemia, her and her husband and her whole family. And even though he's passed away now, she is holding on to God's got this. And she wrote almost a year ago, this was the first sign Andrew hung in our new home. And tonight I kept the tradition, firmly believe in every word. God's got this. God's still got this no matter what. So whatever you're going through today, God's got it. The last verse is that we're going to look at today is verse 12. It's all about swearing. <laughs> the Bible does not forbid the swearing of oaths, only against the swearing of deceptive oaths. Unwise or unflippant oaths. So maybe if you're swearing, you can check that out if they're deceptive, unwise, or flippant. (laughs) You know, James again is echoing Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. The need to swear or make oaths beyond a simple, clear yes or no betrays the weakness of our words. It demonstrates there's not enough weight in our own character to confirm our words. And it's again a throwback to what Paul spoke about from James 3, about taming the tongue. How we speak, how we speak of others. How can we praise God and curse man who's made in God's likeness in the same breath? So that is another challenge today from the book of James. Do we speak with integrity? Do we mean what we say? Um Sometimes I get annoyed and I just have in my head, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So if you're going to say something, just do it. you know. And if you can't do it, say you can't do it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. They're wise words to live by. So the book of James has given us so much to think about as we said earlier from brian's picture this isn't me standing at the front kicking you up the bum saying are you doing this are you living out god's word you need to go before god and say god what are you calling me to what are you speaking to me about through this book what is my legacy how can i live with integrity how can i not live self-indulgently how can i think about others and um what my wealth means in this world you know there's so much to chew on there there's so much to think about this chapter um has given us a lot to ponder so today i just want to ask you to go away and think what's your takeaway will you be a doer of the word not just a hearer of the word what will you put into action after hearing god's word today and um esther had a picture when we were praying earlier about some of us need to get in the boat and push it out you know don't just sit at the harbor don't just sit at the shore and jesus is there in the boat with us and if we hit storms he's going to be there but there's places he wants us to go there's people he wants us to touch and we want to do that and um, with lives full of integrity and living according to his word